Do not confuse this with treatment or mental health advice or direction. Nothing on this podcast is made to supplement or supersede the relationship and direction of your mental health caretakers. Although David Kozlowski is a licensed marriage and family therapist, he is not functioning as a certified mental health professional in this environment. But same applies to any professionals who may appear on the Light the Fight podcast. Hey everybody, welcome to Light the Fight, and we're here to tell you that we had a great podcast, we just did not record it, we've been talking <laughs> for the past three hours, we should have just recorded all of it and then edited out of the stuff that we're not, you know, there we should have said There was a lot of things podcast. that I don't think we should have said. So we actually have opinions <laughs> and thoughts that we don't share sometimes on the podcast, and we're not going to. That's right. That's that's called smart. But we've been here since seven, and now it's after nine, and we're going to get started. So this may be the <laughs> shortest podcast in Light the Fight because we're so exhausted. I Everybody needs to feel bad for me. I'm wiped out from my vacation. We do. We feel bad. You had some tacos. You know how much energy it takes to apply that much like lotion and sunscreen every day? Oh, it's really tough. It's tough. I feel bad for And you. the tacos, like you got to wait in line because they're so good. You know, so I was FaceTiming. There was no line. <laughs> There's a huge line. You have no idea what you saw on Facebook. Anyways, forget our producer even exists or talks. <laughs> you got to ask permission. Just kidding. You guys, David's been on vacation and he's tan. If you're if you're watching on the YouTube, David's tan, and so I purposely used my self tanning wipes so that to not offset the video. Yeah, just because you, you know it would just throw the whole. Thing Your whole off. Aryan race, blonde hair, blue eyed <laughs> thing just wouldn't go with my dark skin, dark hair. Oh man! Just sometimes I just have to use the self tanning. Anyway, that's an, it's, it's safe a for your skin, topic. from what I hear. From yeah, well, you know. Anyway, you guys, today that we're recording is September tenth, and just in for for those of you listening, September tenth is um, kind of a. It's not my favorite day. I'll be completely honest with you. And so, you know, I kind of wish I was in California right, <laughs> right now on vacation um, because David didn't even know what today was because he's just been in that vacation mode. <laughs> I'm so jealous. Yeah, I, I told Heidi before the podcast started, like I started checking social media and saw the stuff she posted. And then I was like, Oh, wait, today's September 10th. <laughs> no, tell him how, tell him what your screen time was over 10 days. So over 10 days, well, my Instagram screen time. And I'm I, I'm about an hour a day on Instagram, roughly. I mean, I don't think I am, well, but I'm nobody not, thinks you're that I'm long. not confessing my amount. No, no, we, we, don't, we don't need that. We don't need that. <laughs> <laughs> but um, for 10 days, it was 19 minutes on Instagram. So. I mean, that is so awesome. Yeah. That is so awesome. But he just, he's just missed out on all the crazy stuff. I did. I missed out on a lot of stuff. And so September is World Suicide Prevention Month. And this week is National Suicide Prevention Week. And today, September 10th, is World Suicide Prevention Day. And so, you know, for, for me, um, right as September starts and the posts start coming in, and, and they, start, they start coming in hot, 
And Instagram knows that suicide is a hot button for me. The algorithm knows that that suicide, you know, I followed a lot of different accounts, a lot of different um, thought leaders and people that, that talk about suicide. Um, and so, you know, the end of the month, those posts start chiming in. Memes, quotes, um, philosophies, yeah. um, infographics. Sharing the suicide hotline number, all, like all the resources. All for- that stuff. And um, and I'll be the first to admit that f- from the time that we lost Corey, um, just the words suicide prevention is just super upsetting to me um, because I remember just the <laughs> being in, I remember sitting up at night, not being able to sleep, Googling suicide prevention and reading every article just in a row, honestly, just searching, trying to figure out what I missed, what I could have done, what I did wrong. Um, and, and then going to things, you know, like right after Corey passed away four years ago, um, just a couple months later, David, you had invited us to, to come to the suicide walk and just going to the suicide walk for prevention, you know, I, it just, it just made me feel horrible. And, um, and then, you know, I was even invited to like a training, like a suicide prevention training. Let's get certified. And it just, it made me feel awful. It just felt like, here's all the things you failed at. You, You know, like, Um, and so yesterday in particular, I woke up and I, and I, I woke up in the morning. That's when I usually like kind of start thinking about what I'm going to post on social media. And I'd gathered some photos and I tried, you know, what am I going to say about this week? And I, I couldn't do it. I, I could not. Like, I don't, I don't know. So immediately, like I'm going back to every thought and, and every feeling and every doubt and, and, and it's, it's tough. And, um, and then even yesterday there was a community event and to be completely honest, it's a good thing there's a community event because, well, it was a good thing I had responsibilities yesterday. Because you might not have showered or because, gotten out of <laughs> I, I, I did not want to get out of bed. I was, and you know what? To, to be honest with you, it's been a while since I had, like, I don't want to get out of bed today. Um, and so, you know, if you do follow me on social media, you, you might know that, um, Last night was this community connect connection event, and really David David kind of spearheaded this last year same event with um, her name's Becky Pickle and she owns a couple of Chick Fil A's in our area and 
there had been a suicide, Nick Swint had passed away. And our community was kind of like it was enough and is enough situation. It really, um, anyway, fast forward to this year. Okay. So last year, David was saying, like he always says, you know, connection is the best suicide prevention. And for me still, like, still, it, it was just too hard. I couldn't wrap my head around it. Um, still kind of beating myself up about all the things I didn't do, you know? Um, and I think something for me yesterday just kind of made sense all of a sudden. Um, last night was this community connection event is what it's called. And it's for the kids. It's for youth. And they, the goal is to get them to come and connect. And actually, David wasn't even there because he's, you know, he's out of town. And um, no, is it, oh, I, I was at my TED Talk thing. Oh, I couldn't make it. When did I, you? When did you? So you just that was last night. Back. Yeah, last yeah, yeah, night. Yeah. yeah, I got back yesterday, and then last night I I couldn't go to that event because so I had my TED Talk thing. So amazing that David, he's not even there. But last night, 50 kids, I think there's 50 kids that came as volunteers just to, to kick things off, to be there the whole time. And they didn't, like, it wasn't sad. It wasn't mourning. It was, yeah, connecting. You know, it was like kids from different high schools that aren't even supposed to talk to each other, especially <laughs> yeah. not during football season. Yeah. And they're hanging out. They're dancing. They're talking to each other. Connecting. You know, and I, and there were some adults standing around being like, you guys seeing this? <laughs> and we're like, whoa. It was kind of like being at the zoo. Like You're watching their look, natural environment. Look at these <laughs> kids. They're interacting. Yeah. And we were, we were like, whoa. So they're making friends. So they're wearing t-shirts that say, you know, we're on the Hope Squad. We are being kind. We choose kind. We're going to support. And and then they were doing it. And they were looking at each other. They weren't like, oh, what's, you know, they were just. It wasn't a post. It was an actual experience. Yeah. And I, you guys, something in my brain clicked i finally thought i finally understood this thing that david's been trying to teach me again with the slow learner thing like it's so well, hard like, for me like some things that are just very simple but profound you get it you understand it but at times it unravels to being a lot more than you originally thought it was and i think that's what you're saying because you've seen pieces of this like when you came to the quit tripping group You've seen really big things like the quit tripping group where you came there and you saw 50 kids there, but a lot of them knew each other. They'd already had this safe space together, but you'd never seen a whole bunch of kids that didn't know each other come into the same place at one time. See, 500 I've, kids. I've been seeing that for years because when I first started the quit tripping groups and not the one that you came to, but a lot of groups will, will have, it'll be new kids coming in and the kids there don't even know them. 
but they all know that they must have stuff going on in their life, otherwise they wouldn't be there. <laughs> right, right, and then right. all of a sudden, within 30 minutes, Heidi, you get to see what you saw at that Chick-fil-A thing. I've seen that every day for a year, or every week for years, large groups of teens from different high schools, different ethnic backgrounds, different religious beliefs. One kid's, you know, you know, the got the emo hair all blacked out, and the other kid's a, you know, clean-cut jock kid. And then two hours later, they're hugging each other, laughing, crying, they become friends. I mean, when they first got there, you could tell they were. Oh, it's awkward. It's like segmented, sizing each other. And then, by the end of the evening, those those lines weren't even there. It it was the greatest evidence um, of what we're talking about, and I needed to see that. I needed to see that those kids. They didn't. I mean, they were getting the nuggets. Yep. So the nuggets brought them together. It's amazing what people will do for chicken nuggets from Chick Fil A. Well, I think what it is people are looking for more excuses and reasons to do things outside of their comfort yeah, zone, are. and they just need a little carrot to dangle in front yeah. of them. Yeah. That's why my support groups. I'm always giving away gift cards. Skull candy headphones, stance socks, stuff like that. Because even though I don't give it to them every single time, it's just enough to let them know you're being rewarded for doing something hard, but it helps you. So so here's what happened is, you know, Monday morning, um, I wanted to be able to say something about Suicide Prevention Week and about the importance of suicide prevention. And there was a lot of memes and infographics that I'd kind of screen capped and thought, okay, I could share this, I can share this. And then I, I just, I couldn't do it. Super upsetting. Then we go to the event and I just, I saw this connection happening. I saw this good vibe. I felt it. And the next morning, the post came a little easier, came easier because I remembered and I saw and I witnessed it. And, and in my post today, it was, it, I went back to the fact that it's about connection. You know, there's a lot of things about there that get talked about on suicide prevention, a lot of good things and important things. But when I look at a lot of that stuff, it wouldn't have helped me with Corey. And I think that's the thing that's so hard for me when I would read articles is that it would say, do this, this, and this. And I was like, okay, well, that wouldn't have worked because of this, this, and this. Here's the difference. Four years later, I am the difference. If I was me, then I would have been able to make a connection. I would have been able to bridge the gap. And so the the thing that I talked about in my post was that I did not know how to be there for Corey with what he was going through. I didn't know how. And and how do you know what you don't know, right? You, you, you don't know. I didn't, the things that I referenced was that I didn't know how to listen without lecturing. I didn't. 
I like I listened and then boom, I came back with the lecture. The perfect time to criticize someone's when they're down and yes. feeling horrible, right? <laughs> I didn't know that my job was to be an ally. I really thought it was to be a dictator. The GSD person. Yes. The get shiz done. <laughs> you know, I didn't know how to reassure him and comfort him and to let him know that we could figure anything out. And now I do. And I could very confidently say that the things that I didn't know then, I know now, and that's what we're teaching here. And this is suicide prevention. Suicide prevention is in the relationships. It's in the space. It's in the accommodation. It's in the ally. It's in the listening. It's in the believing and reassuring that we can figure stuff out. It might take a little time. That's okay. Well, did you know going to work every day is homelessness prevention? <laughs> did you know eating healthier or let's say, you know, whatever your th thing is, right? Doing those things are going to prevent you from having, you know, you know, overexposure to certain illnesses and sicknesses. There's so many things that at a core root level we intuitively know to do because we're setting ourselves up for the future to not have to struggle down the line if we do these things today. And what you're saying is really valid from my experience that when we're dealing with someone that is now suicidal, there were so many missed opportunities for them to connect with people that it makes them question if they're even have anything worthy of connecting with. Because if the only common factor between you and a lot of the things that you want in life, that, and the only common factor between you and all these failures of short or shortcomings and mistakes, sometimes you look at yourself in the mirror and think, oh, I'm the only part in all of these. You know, I dated three different people. They didn't even know each other. I'm the common factor. <laughs> right, right, right. I had different classes. I failed all of them. I'm the common factor. And if you get too much of that on a steady dose on a day-to-day -day basis, not only are you not connecting with other people, you're not gonna try to connect with other people because why would you try to put yourself out there and expose yourself as being worthless and having nothing worthy of connecting with other people with, so you keep it to yourself. And if you keep it to yourself, every day that goes by, you slowly start to turn a corner and thinking that maybe this is the way it's best for you to live. In silence, in quiet, maybe doing what people need you to do to make sure that you be under the radar, you know, just kind of play it cool. But what you're talking about and how you're learning these things is very profound for me as a professional that's helping people and you being the mother that's gone through this. When I hear you talk about um, this, the kryptonite, or not the kryptonite, but the best suicide prevention is connection. It's something I've said for years and you've heard me say it tons of times. But then when you came before the podcast and started talking about it, I wasn't like, oh, she's finally getting it. I'm like, she's pulling back another layer. Because all this is, think about, if you go to suicide prevention websites, the American Foundation Suicide Prevention, QPR, any of those websites, look at all their techniques, look at all the things they're telling you. And what do all those things have in common? 
they work a whole lot better if you have some sort of connection or relationship right, with that person. Right. And if you don't have a connection and a relationship with that person and you jump straight into trying to do too much, you may not get a pass. You may not be allowed to come in or they may push you out and not let you in again. So the relationship building is by far all the beginning stages of what we're trying to prevent, which is ultimately suicide. But what really is suicide? Someone not wanting to live or feeling that it's best if they don't live. Like they may want to live, but they just think they're doing everyone else a favor, them not living. Well, what's the opposite of that? Feeling connected. <laughs> being, Knowing that you have to wake valuable. up because people need you to wake up. Knowing that other people know that you see them as a person that makes your life better. We withhold these things from the world because we feel the shame, we feel embarrassed, whatever let's your just, Let's just repeat are. that one more time. Let's just, that, I, I don't think you've ever like laid that out there like quite like that, but let's repeat that one more time. When somebody is suicidal- they feel like they're burdening. They feel like everybody would be better if they weren't there. And that that's real. This is this is documented. And that may not be with everyone, but that's a large percentage of people. So the opposite of that would be waking up and feeling like you are needed and that you are contributing and that you are bringing value. And so... Kind of just having like a little light bulb moment right here because we do talk about purposeful struggle. We do talk about how do you help people feel needed? How do you allow people to be needed when we all work so hard on not needing anyone? You know, we work Being independent. so hard on just, you know, because we can do everything from the touch of the button, from sitting inside our bed, you know, like... Now we can just door dash it. We don't even have to have send someone to the grocery store, right? You don't yep. have to send your husband to pick up the milk because it gets delivered. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's a that's a really interesting. Thank you. That's it. It's interesting. That's kind of a really clarifying statement. And it's it's a painful day, and Heidi. We're fortunate enough to hear it coming from her. So it helps us put ourselves in the shoes of many parents or just people in general who've lost loved ones that are close to them. And when we hear it coming from Heidi, you know, about what she knows now, what she's sharing with you guys, it's easy to hear the pain and the suffering of what you went through in your voice, like the way you talk about it. Like, it's not easy for you to talk about this, okay? that's comes across very clearly. That <laughs> you're not it's just like, oh, that woman, her son didn't pass away from suicide. She's making that up. No one's ever questioned the, the legitimacy of the things that come out of your mouth, what you say. But when we're talking about little things like the kryptonite to de, you know, depression is connection or the best suicide prevention is connection, these are little nuggets that you just sit there and you just sit there and you think about and you hold on to and you work with. And over time, they start to take shape and they start to form something. And for you, what I feel it's forming for you right now is instead of just sharing your pain, you're into like, let's do something with the pain now. 
let's have a specific purpose. We're not doing, you know, all the stuff that we're doing right now. We're not creating, um, um, uh, the, the workshops online. Um, we're not doing all these different types of resources for our listeners and people out there so that you guys just get to hear her story about how hard this is for her. No, the story only sets up the need and the importance of following through and doing something about it. Because her story in and of itself is sad and hurtful and painful, but there's no information how to change your life just in her story. But her story is going to point you in the direction. Some moms going to relate to certain things that you say, and other moms can relate to other things that you say. It doesn't matter what they relate to. If they relate to something in your story, that naturally points them to the next step. And the next step is, now you can do this too. If she can do it, what's your excuse? Exactly. You don't have one. So you have to carve out time. You have to make an intention, whether it be go to counseling, whether it be using teencounseling.com or a counselor that, that you go and see, or if you've never been to counseling, whatever it is that you need to do to better the connection with your kids, your spouse, and your loved ones. So let's just talk. One thing that we've never talked about here on the podcast, but we've talked about as we've met with, we talk about this a lot when we meet with administrators and when we meet with like- Because I have to give them a framework. Like right. where we're coming from is not, it's not the, hey, we're going to try to stop people from taking their life. That's not where we're coming right. from. Right. And so I don't super- like this, what we're about, I think what we, what we need to talk about right now isn't super easy to talk about. And I'd never thought about it this way until David kind of like, when you start talking about the, logis the logistics of suicide prevention, um, programs in schools, what we actually can, like solution-based stuff, what we we're providing for families, what we can provide for teachers, what we can provide for the kids and how it all works together. Ugh. You know, then you start kind of feeling this this weight, like how are we ever going to get our, our arms around this? And I think that it's necessary for all of us to kind of have this framework. Yeah. So why don't you kind of lay out the, the stages as it pertains to suicide prevention. First off is, I'm going to give you guys an analogy. Um, if you haven't noticed, I'm kind of big on analogies. Uh, analogies in, and rhyming. Yeah. In my profession, if people can remember it, that's helpful. For sure. And if you use analogies so they don't have to like feel like they're going to school and class and have to study something, that's helpful too. But the analogy I'm going to use is a very serious analogy. It's the analogy of school shootings. So when there's a school shooting... Let's go back to in recent years. So not Columbine a long time ago, but let's say four or five years ago when it wasn't as prevalent right now, but it was starting to be, seem like it becoming more, more constant. When there's a school shooting, what do you think the first thing after the school shooting that is going to be the major focus? Is it going to be how do we make sure a kid doesn't bring a gun to school and harm someone ever again? And how do we create policies and procedures and safety plans of action to stop someone from shooting in the school again? Do you think that was the first objective or do you think this was the first objective? How do we help our students, our teachers, and our parents that bring the kids there and work with the administrator, how do we help them have conversations and give them the knowledge and information so that long before someone becomes a person that's violent or willing to act out and stuff like that, that we see all these signs 
long before this person gets identified, gets treatment, gets help, so that they never even get to the point where they're getting armed to come shoot up a school. Which one do you think is the first objective? Well, everybody wants you to take action, to point to blame, to check the boxes. And, and if you're not doing that, it's irresponsible. Okay. So it's obvious that the first most important thing is the eminent safety, and they have to take action on that part, right? But then what happens, media gets involved, things start to stir it up. There's a lot of debates about, was it this, was it that? People have opinions, they start going back and forth. And the problem, like a big pot of stew, just gets stirred up. And then everybody starts throwing in their, their voice. Everybody starts saying, what's this, 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 that? And if you're not careful, you can spend a whole lot of time analyzing the problem. Well, in business, that's called bad. If you <laughs> sat around talking about the problem all day long, guess what you're not doing? Solving. You're not solving problems. You're not, solutions are created outside of problems. Inside of problems, just information. They're just giving you information that you can take that information and create a, the solutions outside of it. Okay. They're not happening in the same place at the same time. Okay. So the reason why I'm giving you all this setup is because what Heidi was talking about different stages a long time ago, you know, the, um, it was, a I forget what the, the government organization was. I don't know if it was the mental health organization or if it was the suicide movement for the September, but what they were doing is they had this thing called B4 stage four. And I think it was in 2015 when, when they started the hashtag B4 stage four. And I asked someone who was a part of this campaign. I said, Hey, and I knew what it meant. I just said, Hey, well, well explain to me what, what they mean by B4 stage four. And he explained to me that in cancer, when someone is diagnosed with cancer, there's different stages to kind of give an identifier like where they're at in the development of cancer. If they're at stage one, you know, that's obviously a lot better than if they're at the end, which is stage four. Stage four would mean, roughly speaking, that it's not looking good. Like it, the chances of them surviving this is very bad. And no one wants to get diagnosed at stage four. You want to find this out much earlier. It's the difference of life or death. We know how important that is. But it's very interesting that in cancer, they knew it was important to identify different stages of development of this issue. So the mental health or whoever started this was smart enough to say, we need to let people know that we need to identify if someone's struggling before stage four. Well, in 2014, 15, I'm pretty sure the suicide rates started to get amped up. The threats of the safety of our kids were so eminent. Naturally, we're going to address how do we keep them safe. We need to find the kids who are suicidal right now. We need to get them to safety so that we can figure out the rest later. And for the past five years, that's what the initiatives of our state and many other states have been, as they should be. Right, as they because should that's be. the, the that's, highest that's a very crisis highest, level. Exactly. But no one that I ever talked in that ever disagreed with what I'm about to say. So the, the hashtag and the organization said before stage four. And I asked the same guy, I said, oh, well, that's very smart. And that's very great that you guys use that analogy. I said, but uh, 
if you don't mind me asking, what's stage one, two, and three? And looked at me in this blank face. He's like, well, I, it's just more like a metaphor, you know, to try to use the cancer stages so that people could help see that this is important. I go, oh, that's not good enough. And he looked at me and he's like, what do you mean it's not good enough? I'm like, so you're telling me, and he's a friend of mine, so he knows I wasn't criticized. I go, so what you're telling me is that in order for mental health, in order for suicide and all these things to get the attention that it needs, it's sufficient just to use a metaphor of a stage of a disease that has nothing to do directly with mental health. And in our conversation, what he was realizing, what I was saying is, we are so far away from the fire, we're only treating the smoke. And this is a difficult position because I'm not blaming people for treating the smoke because that's what you have to treat first. Right. But what I said to him at the time, I said, stage one, stage two, and stage three have to be up on deck next, and we have to start working on that really quickly. And we can't just be talking about them as a metaphor. If we don't develop a system that gives us information how to point people in the right resources, because not everybody's going to need a direct mental health resource. They need a financial resource because some people, it's their financial lack of stability, which is creating them not wanting to live. And I'm referring to white middle-aged men. That's the largest population of suicide. That's more people dying like that. Now, some of them are veterans, stuff like that. But the point is, not everybody is going to follow under the same thing that's going to get them to be suicidal. So to try to look at suicide, to stop, to, to stop suicide, this is what I told my friend. I go, if we were to try to use a metaphor, I go, if we were to get, try to stop alcoholism by looking for people who are drunk, do you think that would work? He said, no. I go, unfortunately, if we don't quickly establish stage four safety, if we don't quickly start working on stage one, two, three, and if we get stuck on just stopping people from taking their life when they're suicidal, they will never be a net big enough to catch how many people who are struggling. We have to have systems far before suicide prevention is even a statement. And once I explained this to him, he said, could you please explain this to, to someone else? It was another high ranking person. And then I talked about it a couple different meetings and I started sharing it with people and they started looking at me. They're like, I heard things like, wait, are you saying that we've been doing this wrong the whole time? I said, no. I go, you're saving people's lives. I go, you're not doing it wrong. I said, but are we trying to stop people from killing themselves? Or are we trying to create a society, neighborhoods and communities where people have a reason to live? So right now, what I'm saying to you, and I really plan on this being a direction in the future. Stage one is education, informed consent. Stage two is application. Stage three is identifying of red flags, problems. Stage four, that's when someone's having suicidal thoughts, ideations, and attempting. Stage one, two, and three, by definition, are really a social health crisis, not a mental health problem. However, how I tell all the people whenever I have groups of people that are, you know, they, they you know, political or whatever it is, I always share it with them like this. Stage one, two, and three 
are how we're going to save our families, our neighborhoods, our communities, our state, our country, and our civilization. Stage four is how we're gonna save people from taking their life until they can return back to a sense of normalcy so they're in a better place to see what they need to do. One stage is not more important than the other stage, but my fear is that if we're not careful, too much social media, too much people trying to get a name recognition, too many people trying to use suicide prevention to get them voted or whatever it may be, whatever their agenda is. I don't know what that agenda is. And I'm not saying that's bad that they want that. It's just they're choosing to use this as their platform. Too much of that could distract us from ever dealing with the things that create people to not want to live in the first place. Because there's too many variables that can get someone to be suicidal. So we can't think that one approach is going to help them. We have to have a system that creates so much information, so much education, that then the probability that people are gonna slip through cracks are very slim because we're sealing up the cracks. We're not making a bigger net to try to catch more people. We're sealing up the cracks. In any business, this is just business daily. We all do this in other aspects of our life. I just want us as mental health, as educators and administrators, political government, I want us to see this for what it really is. This is a social health crisis that has very serious mental health side effects. And that was the part I was saying that I always tell people, this is a social health issue, but it manifests itself oftentimes with mental health problems. So this is why this resonates with me so much, because if you're talking about stage one being, stage one and two being education and application. And by the way, when I mean education, here's what you, they need to be educated on from kindergarten all the way up to businesses, colleges, and everything. Well, and I'm going to separate that and say, as a mom, I didn't know that when somebody spills the smoothie that I just handed back to them in their car seat all over into the entire car and down into the seats and I flip out and fling out that I'm scaring my child to the point that they don't think that I'm going to love them when they spill a smoothie. I call that prescribing don't freaking out as social, as uh, suicide prevention. Right. And that's and that, what that is. Not freaking out is actually a type of suicide prevention. If you're looking at it, the less you freak out over years, the more likely they're going to come to you. And the more likely they're going to come to you, the less likely they're going to take their life. Which is what I'm calling is education application. Cause I didn't know that all those times that I stabbed the balls, that I was yeah. scaring my kids to the point that they didn't think that they could come to me and say, mom, I have a real problem because I was going to stab the ball. You, you know what I'm saying? And so like- She can't handle those bouncing balls in the house. Like, right? <laughs> you, you, right? You know, so you're yeah. talking about kids that, yes, in kindergarten, they need to know. The reason why you don't want to come into this classroom is because you were feeling anxiety and this is what it feels like. Exactly. And da, 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 da. But mom- over here is like not to, you know not tolerating go to bed early do you, you know so the education and the application to me is like and I say this every time man I wish I would have known this 20 years ago and this really is it's becoming my life's work what we're talking about right now. Right. I didn't know it was gonna be my life's work because I thought I'm just counseling people and helping people not be depressed, not be anxious. So I'm just dealing with all these isolated situations. 
But the longer I've done it, the more I start to step back and I see the bigger picture. And this is just my opinion. You don't have to agree with me. That stage one and stage two, when I said um, education application, here's when I'm referring to what we need to be educating ourselves about and our different groups about, and then what we need to learn to apply. How to build, maintain, and improve our relationships. Mic drop. The kids you sit in class next to, your parents... Think about this for a second. You made a very interesting point. And I'm glad you said it because I don't think I've ever told you this before. I'm always trying to get parents and teachers to have conversations together so that they can be better support people. They both have the same desire to help the kids, but oftentimes they only communicate, like we said in a recent podcast, when there's a when problem. When they're in trouble. When there's a problem, right? Mm-hmm. And that's more of a stage four communication. Right. Every stress, you know, Teachers might get defensive, parents might get defensive, whatever it may be. But if we look at it from stage one and stage two in the application, in the education application, we're just trying to teach people all the information we've learned in recent years through documented research from quantifiable, not quantifiable, um, legitimate sources that are telling us that human beings live longer if they have better relationships. People do business with people they like. Right, like so. This is not new information. It's so old. It's been with us for so long. We're trying to find these complex. We're trying to find complicated answers to complex problems. When in reality, the opposite of complex and complicated are simple. So what we're talking about right now, building, maintaining um, relationships. Why can't kids be taught in school about how difficult stress and life is for adults? How many times have you as a parent tried to explain to your kid what it's like to be a parent and they don't give a crap or they just don't understand like, okay, so you buy me Taco Bell or not? Like they don't really, they're just like, what do you mean? But when I talk to kids about their parents and the stresses and the struggles using certain analogies, certain metaphors, all of a sudden light bulb turns on and they get it. But to come from the parent in the middle of an argument, trying to tell the kid, you don't know how hard it is for me. Nobody's listening to that. Everybody shuts off. That's like the parent, that's like the kid trying to tell the parent how hard it is for them. The parent's like, yeah, yeah, whatever. You have it so much easier. You have a better life than I've ever had. Both are trying to tell the other people, I'm hurting, I'm struggling, I need your help. But the message is not being delivered in a way that right. they can hear it. But if we got it in school, if parents got it in trainings where now you're gonna get to learn research about the stress and anxiety, that kids that aren't even related to you are going through and then parents go oh my gosh that sounds just like my kid yeah because they're human beings there's a whole lot in common so stage one stage two education application and inside of that is informed consent i remember when i was a kid well i don't remember this but i remember it changing there was never caloric information about anything Do you think people just one day said, we should put on cigarettes that it could kill you? Do you think marble, do you think that was their idea? No. Marble cigarettes? They said, oh, we want to tell people our products could kill you because that's great business. No, there's no way in hell they volunteered to do that. (laughs) Why did they do it? Because enough people connected and had conversation. Wait, your dad died? Wait, your mom died? Wait, wait a second. We think something's going on here. Then came informed consent. What informed consent means, we are going to allow you to purchase this, but we are going to tell you the potential dangers from it. On antidepressant medication, 
Unfortunately, I know some families that they were part of making it that pharmaceutical companies had to acknowledge that you're taking medication to help you not want to die and it could make you want to die. So informed consent is basically we're giving you an opportunity to be a part of this, but we're also giving you the hard facts. Imagine Instagram, Snapchat, all these organizations, when you click on, especially at certain ages, it says, hey, welcome. But before you start, we just want to remind you that certain amount of usage can create anxiety, can create depression, create these things, things that have been proven, not that we have to like debate about. Please enjoy responsibly. Just like Bud Light does in their commercials, don't drink and drive. They're trying to give us informed consent. So at least there's some admission on their part. This has got to be your choice, but we're not saying it's going to be healthy for you. It's just going to be something that's going to entertain you or going to connect you with other people. One, two, and three. Three is more of like, all right, they need some does, help. There's some stuff going on. Does pornography have any of that informed consent stuff? What do you mean? Like, does it say, this will ruin every relationship you have? Please enjoy responsibly. I think the only thing you have to do is say, not prove, that you're 21. <laughs> 18? That, you know. Yeah. 18, 21, like... Uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, no, you talk about yeah. social media. Yeah, informed consent. There's... Informed consent for pornography would be definitely good, but I don't know how they'd get them to do that one. Well, uh, but I'm just saying, yes. I mean, conf informed consent. Like, why doesn't why doesn't the government go after these? I mean, I guess they have a little bit gone after. Well, them, here's the thing. I think they, we they, they try to take down these social media guys. And I don't think we really, <laughs> I'm not saying that we don't. Yeah. That's a whole, that's, yeah, that's a whole nother rabbit hole. Another, another, sorry. That was. Yeah. No, no. I, I was just in a, in a different thought at that time. But I, the government, this is not a government thing. Right. This is, pri these same companies, Apple, my, uh, you just name these big companies. You tell me their top dogs, those companies don't have kids they're not worried about. Oh, I think so. This is how we get to them. We get to them saying, we're not going to try and stop your product. We're not going to try to make you do it differently. We just want you to be a part of informing people of what they're getting involved in. Which, which this is just, there's so much. And, and we know, we've been saying this on our podcast. We know now more. We know more now than ever before. Right? We know more in the last five years than everyone's ever known ever. In the history of the United right. States, in the history of the world, when it comes to mental and emotional, like we just never had any clue about this stuff. But what we do is we're gathering information, we're doing the research, and it's sitting on digital shelves, collecting dust. It's not in our curriculum. It's not in education. You can't tell me that there's not teachers out there that wouldn't want to go to college to become a specialist in teaching relationship building or in teaching divorce teaching anxiety, teaching depression. These should be their own curriculums by themselves. Yeah, This shouldn't be you teach it in social health class for like, or not social health class, but social uh, health, just health. Like you teach it for like a week or two. The teachers I talk to that teach health, they're like, I wish I could have a year on this. Right. It's just not enough. And no disrespect to, you know, other industries like math and English and all those other things because those are obviously important. But people's lives aren't hanging on those. That's True. not a life or death situation. Try and debate that relationships, their stability, do not drastically increase or decrease someone's feeling like they're good enough, necessary enough, or even have a reason to live. And I'm not saying someone has to be suicidal, but we question our own value when we're going through difficult relationship struggles. Okay. okay? So one, two is the education, the application, informed consent. 
Three is like, okay, now you're starting to see a pattern. Something's going on. These other things weren't good enough. They're starting to reach out because with one and two happening in their day-to-day life, they're more likely to open up and talk to people. Now we identify them as someone that needs some type of help and we start providing resources, education, financial, whatever it may be. Those people that have been identified in stage three and have had help through stage one and two, now you're talking about, okay, stage four is further away from us because we've already stopped the momentum. Mm -hmm. It's hard to to get back to that place to be And just imagine, just imagine the support that's there that the understanding's there, that the compassion is there because the You're not alone. The, you're not it, weird you know, for like, feeling this way. There's so, like we can't, I can't even wrap my brain around what would happen if, if frankly, if I would have this information 20 years, you, you know, like it, it's big. What you're talking about is big. I had a young man yesterday. I'm helping him with communicating with girls. <laughs> Okay. It's going very well because he's coming from a place where he wasn't communicating with other teenagers, let alone of the opposite sex. From last year to this year, it's already a huge change. But what I was talking to him about helped him out so much. He looked at me and was like, how cool would this be if other kids got to learn this? Like, you should come teach this at my school. (laughs) If everybody knew how to talk to each other? Oh my gosh, everybody would talk to each other. Because he identified... Very intelligent said, we're getting bad. We're getting worse at teen as teenagers in communicating with each other because no one's practicing face to face. And I'm like, this guy read the book I didn't read, wrote yet, or the book I haven't written yet. I'm like, yeah, have you been to my, some of my speeches, whatever. That's exactly what's going on. They're only getting better at what they practice. So now we're in a situation as he said, he goes, now all the if I can, what were you saying? If I could take this class as an, even as an elective, that makes me curious. What do you think is more curiosity-driven for a teenager? What's going to help them in relationships or just simple education curriculum? What do you think is going to spark their curiosity more? Greek mythology. Right? Like, <laughs> and I'm not saying those things are bad. By the way, all you teachers, hopefully you get one. No. I'm not saying that those things are bad. No, of course But not. that's like saying, hey, you know, something is really good. Something is great and something can save people's lives. There's different categories. Like they're not even in the same ballpark. Math and those things, great, important. But you can't tell me that math and English and history in the majority of industries we have out there are more important than relationships and knowing how to manage relationships, how to improve them and how to even build them in the first place. The fact is that we just expect that as humans, we know how to be humans. Because we, we, that. we used to have a training progress or pr- program. It was called a tribe. It's called a neighborhood. We're disconnected from those now. And some people may say, I'm still really close to my neighborhood. I'm really close to my culture. Yeah. And is it easy to do that in today's world? Oh, no. We're too busy now. We don't have time to sit around and talk and hang out and socialize like that. Uh, those aren't like the good old days on the porch anymore. So having said that, where can we make changes? I believe it's in our social health. And I believe it starts in kindergarten all the way through 12th grade. I also believe it starts with parents learning about what's going on with teenagers, not from people's opinions, but by taking courses. 
and getting credit for those courses. And maybe you could even go to school to be able to teach those things to other kids and other adults. These are the things that are going to create stage one, stage two, stage three, so that we're sealing up those cracks Mm -hmm. and less people have places to slip through. Now, stage four, obviously that'll never go away. We need to be able to identify people who are suicidal or anyone that's suffering at that particular stage, right? No matter how they got there is what I meant. That should never change. But we will have more people that we have to save if we don't start working on stage one and two and stage three. And I'm not saying it's not being worked on. Some people may listen to that and say, we're working on it. We're working on it. Yeah, that's great. But we need to stop working on like mom and pa businesses and we start to need to create a system. That's what I'm working on. You know, Heidi, I've been talking yeah. about social health for a long time and you're now starting to see the bigger picture. And I wouldn't expect people to see the bigger picture right away because they don't work with it in the... In well, the same way that you're I talking do, you about know? like the stop the bleeding situation, exactly. that's your stage four. That's the stop the bleeding. And that's what's always going to get the attention. It's always going to get the money. It's And, and frankly, there's like an action. Um, what you're talking about feels really unachievable. I, I know we, we talk about this a lot. And, well, there's and no I know, money in I know, stage one and two right. and three. You don't get paid to, in mental health, I think I've said this on our podcast before, but- Cancer, if you try to solve the problem called cancer, if you try to come up with a medication, whatever for it, you can make lots of money just trying. Just trying because it's so important that people are willing to pay you just to try to take take a crack at it. Mm -hmm. That's not the same case with suicide. You are only going to make money off it if you solve the problem. Stage one and stage two and stage three, they don't make a lot of money. Right. Stage four doesn't even really make money, but they can raise money. From fear. Well, of course, that's to stop the bleeding thing. And also people that have lost their kids like you, of course, you're going to come out of your pocket to make sure the people don't have to go through that. But are we putting money into trying to stop people to take their life or are we putting money to make it so that they don't have the reason to want to take their life? I think we need to start shifting our resources to stage one, two, and three. So let's just talk like... We're talking pie in the sky for a minute, which is a little overwhelming. So let's just talk about well, like- it's a little bit different for us too. Because we're usually like, sure. hey, do this, do this, try this, for do this. Sure. But this is like a big, like, hey, let's just talk openly for a moment. For sure. And with a day like today, this is not for me. I can't, uh, for me, I'm not going to post the suicide number today. I didn't even know today was the day, but I helped two people who were suicidal. So everybody has a different thing. Which but is for us- your everyday. Well, yeah, yeah, but that, that's like, yeah, that's like a doctor saying like, okay, I was like, you know, I, I did surgery today. It's like just what they do for their job, right? Like that's what they're supposed to do. But in my situation, and I know with a lot of our listeners, we feel like we need to do more. Yes. And if we want to do more and we keep on trying to do more of the same thing, sometimes that doesn't feel like it's enough. So why not have a conversation about a pie in the sky? Something that maybe if you're listening to this and you have influence in your community, in your area, maybe it strikes a chord with you. Maybe you know someone that you can make a phone call to and say, you know what, listen to this one episode. This was a curious thing that kind of sparked my curiosity. I had a conversation with an anthropologist, this lady that did a lot of great research. I shared this couple sentences with her and she looked at me and she said, wait, say that again? Okay, we need to meet, we need to talk. That made perfect sense. And she does this all the time. She just never heard it said like that. And when I said it with her, she and I were like, okay, let's put our brains together because she does the research. Lord knows I can't do that. (laughs) 
And then I'm doing this stuff over here. So we're trying like wonder twin powers, activate form of trying to figure out some more ways to help people. And at the end of the day, Heidi, we're a stage one, stage two podcast. Right. That's what we are. Well, and that's what I wanted to say is number one, like as we talk about this pie in the sky, let's not get discouraged that this is really big and that it's going to take some years and it's going to take some, some paradigm shift in our brains. But I think that that's what we're doing right here. At least that's what's happening for me is I'm realizing, oh, I needed this education and oh, I needed to actually try and think and make adjustments. I never got more grief from one parent about me needing to give more of this education to other parents than you. You're the one that said that to me more than anyone. Of course, you probably. Have well, because mo- I sat there completely shocked that I didn't know the difference between guilt and shame. I was completely shocked that I didn't know that me questioning my kid was causing them to doubt themselves. And not want a relationship with you. And that me freaking out because they they spilled the, the smoothie. It wasn't even my fault that that was making them never want to trust me or come to me or talk to me about anything like Hello, I didn't know. And so if you're in the room talking to one person at a time, well, then we're not going to get there fast enough. You you know, and so you're right. That is why I said we got to talk more. We got to try to talk to more people at once. And that is what's happening. And I think that judging by the number of DMs and the comments and the, and the, response that we get from people and the are downloads of people are listening they're like, what's saying the- oh my gosh i didn't even know so we're so something is happening here which is fantastic and well i think this is just the beginning stages because this is not a system no this is this is not a social health system this is the starting point of opening up the conversation like you have the paradigm shift for people to start to see things in a different way because I don't want it. I don't right. want any of my mental health professionals. I don't want any people, especially my friends, but also people I don't know, for one second to think that I think that the work they've been doing in suicide prevention is not important. It hasn't saved lives, and it's not mandatory that we do that. For sure. I'm just saying we got to be careful not to spend all of our time and resources in stopping the bleeding. Well, I, I even got a message this morning, and, and I want to read it really quick because I thought it was super. Super exactly. Uh, oh, no, I didn't have a queued up. This is what it says. So today, Suicide Prevention Day, I shared a little don't freak out class on an Instagram account called Seasons of Renewal. Se- seasons period of period renewal. And, and I'm, I'm, I'll link it on our Instagram page. You guys have heard it. If you if you're here, you've you've heard us talk about being a first responder, not a first overreactor. This particular comment came in and it said, and she's referring to the class that was posted. And she says, When I first saw this, I have to be honest, I say my first thought was, I don't think I really need to watch this. My kids aren't old enough for any of this. It doesn't apply to me right now. Oh my goodness, I could not have been more wrong. Such a powerful and important class for everyone, no matter the stage of life they're in. So grateful to learn this from this class. And I kind of just had this moment today on Suicide Prevention Day that this mom, probably of little kids, 
maybe had this moment where she realized. So when I freak out, I destroy the relationships. And I want to say fist bump, David. We we got one. This well, is what I'm talking about. I'm getting... About. You definitely have a lot more face-to-face -face interaction with people. I think because I do it all day long for a living, I kind of avoid. I wear hoodies and hats <laughs> around. I don't want it. Not that I won't say hi. It's, I just, it's easier. F people can can pull my heartstrings and get me into a free counseling session if I give them too much time. <laughs> yeah, like I just did before we used Yeah, because then I'm like, yeah. all right, I'll wake up and I'll start. Because I'll show up for people, just not for myself, right? Isn't that pretty typical for, for most sure, of you out sure. there? Um, but yeah, it's just... You know, those little things like, you know, a mom sharing that and I was blown away by how many comments and how many people have seen it already. But those little things that she said is the same things that I'm hearing. Last night I was at this TED Talk event and I had a couple different couples come up to me and said, we're so excited to hear you talk. And I was like, oh, really? I'm like, do you have teenagers? They go, no, we have a newborn and a two or three year old. <laughs> but everyone that comes up and says, here's how they start off. We don't have teenagers. We have young, small kids, but... We're really worried about this whole preteen teenager thing because the younger years seem to intimidate parents more from the simple amount of time and hovering you have to do to keep your little kids alive. But what scares them more is not even knowing what your kids are doing or having an idea of if they're telling you the truth or not or who they're hanging out with. Like, So that scares everybody. And then you add in the depression, the suicide, the anxiety. That is so scary for new parents because it, it doesn't even make it's, sense. It's scary for old parents. But you know what I'm saying? Like a, <laughs> yeah. a new no, parent, look at this little baby. They're so perfect. Like, oh my gosh. Like, What if someone breaks his heart and he doesn't want to live? You're like, yeah, exactly. So these parents... They're ahead of the curve. They're already, whether it's our podcast, I think they're already on it going, I need to start this now. And the ones that have come to our workshops, how many of them are praying saying, I'm so glad I came to this now. What do all the parents say? I wish I was you. I wish I came to this when my kids were younger because I would have already started on a, be a better trajectory. Yeah. Well, I, I appreciate you kind of laying that all out. I think that it's a lot and it overwhelms me whenever he talks about it. I kind of go, <gasps> and I'm a long storyteller. So I got to start with one analogy that goes to a metaphor and that more. And then next thing you know, I finally get to the point. But in my experience, what I found out, and if I go I straight to the point, to out the whole time. if I go straight to the point, it's too confusing to people because it's so direct that it's like, wait, how do I get there? So I try to tell a lot of stories to help set them up saying you can get there. It's not, it's, and I it's believe, not that you can't get there. I believe we're going there. Yeah. And I want to be I want to be part of it. I believe in it. And you know We should get on this podcast as a guest called Light the Fight. <laughs> well, today I, I know a guy, yeah, you might be able to yeah, yeah, yeah. Yesterday yesterday as I'm reading, like there's memes and if you go into hashtag suicide prevention, there is so much stuff. And so much good stuff. Like I was screen, screen capturing stuff. I, I thought there was really impactful stuff. And um, also, every one of you who are listening, I want you to just think about this other end of the spectrum, that building the connection, that this can happen today. 
And the thing we talk about before is going to that loved one that you might have a strained relationship with that it's not working out and saying, I've been doing this wrong. I've been doing this wrong and I'm sorry. There, it is never too late and never too early. And while maybe your teenagers won't believe you right away when you tell them you want to stop freaking out or when the, you tell them that you're actually their ally, they might not believe it right away, but all it will take is like one or two actions on your part that will get the raised eyebrow, that will get the curiosity. Yeah, yep. And they'll be like, whoa, maybe she's, maybe she's serious. Because it is time. It is not too late. I like to say, you guys, that there is, just because you don't know the answer, you don't know the solution, doesn't mean there's not a solution. And I believe here at Late the Fight, we are about solutions. So even if we don't have the whole big thing figured out or the arms wrapped around and knowing exactly what the system is going to be yet, the fact that you're here listening, the fact that you're open, the fact that you're willing to try these little things, this is stage one and stage two happening right here. And as you tell people about it and these relationships inside your families, inside with your, with your kids' friends, with the teachers, with the neighbors. This is going right into stage three. And we're doing it. And it will make a difference. You know, I, I wanted to add one disclaimer to what you said. And even though I obviously am not the, the parent who's lost a child to suicide, I want to speak directly to all of our listeners who have lost a child to suicide or a spouse, you know, someone like super, super close. I know that, that this can be hard to hear. If you listen just to a couple of my words, it could sound like I'm telling you that your kid would be alive if you did a better job at having a relationship with them. And if, if that's what you heard, and if, if that's what it sounded like, I sincerely apologize. Because what I meant to say was, you're not the problem, but you can be part of creating solutions. Even if you are a parent that Heidi has confessed on this podcast plenty of times the things that she wished she would have done different. I know there's a part of her that would like to believe that if she would have done those things different, then it could have made a huge impact and a lot of things might have been different. But she can't say that it would have saved her son's life. She couldn't say that the circumstance would have been different because it's just a circumstance. But what she can say is now that she knows it, she can do something with that. So that's all we're saying to all of you parents out there, specifically those people that this is a very touchy subject for, especially with it being the day we're probably going to get people listening to this that share it with... I could see someone going, I'm going to share it with my friend who lost their kid to suicide. Right. So if they're a new listener and don't have a relationship with us, they could be offended by some of the things we're saying. But I'm just telling you, we are all on the same team. Our pain might be different. Our circumstance and our experiences might be different. But at the end of the day, 
If you've lost someone or you're fearful of losing someone, it feels the exact same way. We want you to see yourself as part of the solution. And if you blame yourself and what we said today made you feel like we're blaming you, we sincerely apologize because the last person we want to blame is the person that's here alive to help everyone learn from this experience and take that pain and do something with it. You can do something. You don't have to be involved in a podcast like me and Heidi do. You can just lift where you land. I met an amazing mom last night at the TED Talk event. She... um was telling me about her work with suicide prevention. She runs one of the hope squads and this and that. And as we're talking, I was like, wow, I was just about to ask her, like, how'd you get involved in this? And she'd mentioned in recent years, you know, her, her husband passed away from suicide. She just kind of said it when she was talking. I was like, well, wait, what? She said, yeah, my husband passed away from suicide. And as we started talking, the, part of the reason why I'm thinking to say this right now is because what she said to me, it was so true. And I've heard this from other people before, she said, it's hard for me because I go to some groups and I go to talk to the people, but I find here locally, a lot of the people, their, their experience was they would do anything to have their loved one back. And for good reason, like their loved one wasn't their problem. Her situation was different. She felt like a hostage. She's angry and upset. She felt like it was, she was held in this situation trying to care for him and trying to do it because he had long mental health issues, a lot of attempts, you know what I mean? So that hot feel like I can't do anything. I can't move anything. I have to be worried about him constantly. And when she shared this with me, she was, I feel bad because I can't say this out loud to people because when I've tried to say it, they look at me like, you wouldn't want him back? Are you saying you don't love them? Like they didn't understand. They weren't my situation. My situation, it was painful to watch someone threaten and always be suicidal with little kids around and when she said that to me, I just looked at her and I said, you know what? I feel you. And I gave her a big hug and I shared a couple of things because I talked to other parents that have shared those things that she shared. But I just bring that up because we're going to be protective of our loved ones passing and their death. It's not going to be the same for everyone. But if you've lost a loved one to suicide, whatever their pain was, you're holding it, but it's up for you to do something with it. You can take that and take it in many directions to better your life and the lives of people around you. Lift where you stand is what that woman told me. She's very quiet. She doesn't, I could tell she doesn't want any attention for what she's doing, but we need people like that too. Not everybody can babble on like Heidi and I for, for hours. Like I don't, we need less people like me. <laughs> we need more people that just can actually do the work and not just you know talk for a while. But I, that's what I'm telling you. All you parents out there have lost a loved one or your child to suicide, or if you've lost a loved one to suicide on this day, if you feel like you should have done more, you could have done more and you blame yourself or you feel like you just missed opportunities. Well, I'll just double down. And I tell you, I feel the same way. Heidi, do you feel the same way? Yeah. Yeah, I do. You can relate to that, huh? I don't think I've ever, met somebody who has lost somebody that didn't feel like it was they that they had fault for not something and i i carry that pretty pretty heavy well if you know someone close enough to you that you feel that you could put that out there and let them know that you're struggling with those feelings and just let them know that you don't expect them to take it from you. But if you don't talk about it to someone, 
it's going to be really difficult for you to ever make sense of why you feel that way, you know, and that it's normal and it's, it's, it's natural that you'd feel that way. Otherwise, if you didn't feel that way, that wasn't a close relationship, you know, it's easy to justify, oh, I didn't text them back. I haven't talked to them for a while, but if it's someone really close to you and you feel like you could have done more, that's because you cared that much. So I know if I can only speak for myself, but I, I know that, uh, Heidi agrees with me in the sense that we love each and every one of you. We know that each and every one of you that have lost someone or you're just worried about someone, even if your kids haven't even struggled it, you're worried because their friends are struggling or what their, their, their struggles could be in the future. Just know that we love you. We get you. We understand you. Even though our stories may not be the same, our pain and our hurt and our worries are. Yeah. I, I appreciate what you said and I appreciate the sensitivity um, because it is a, it's a, it's a tough conversation when you've lost somebody, for sure. And I'm sure it's a tough conversation when you're afraid that you're gonna lose somebody. It's just a freaking tough conversation, you know. As we uh, as we wrap up. There's a couple things that I want to mention. Um, if you do have somebody who's struggling and you're having a hard time knowing where, where to turn, um, we have found that teencounseling.com is a good solution if you're looking for, um, for help and support. Uh, we... We know that there's a lot of solutions, and if you have, if if you have somebody, great, take them. If you're letting finding somebody in real life be the resistance, be the barrier to getting someone help, teencounseling.com is a really a, a real solution. Um, we do partner with them. We have heard good things. If you've had an experience, we'd love to hear it. Um, if you go to teencounseling.com backslash LTF, which stands for Light the Fight, you can get 10% off. It's a good place to start. It's worth checking out. Um, we also want to... Also here too, if you're local, there's always the Safe UT app. Yes. The Safe UT app is something that you can call, you can chat. They know how to talk to people. They know how to use language. Even if you, as a, as a parent or supporter, you don't say you can call too. You don't have to be a crisis. You can also, if you just need some help, you can also call. So that's, thank you. That's a great reminder. And also, too, if you're here local in the community on September 24th, what school is it hosted at? Anyways, um, I'm going to be uh, doing a connection. It's called Connection Currency event here in Harriman at a local middle school. Or, uh, look up the email. Um, Brandon will pull it up. I just can't remember. I thought it was at Harriman High School. But basically what it is is um, I'm going to be sharing. Uh, and it's free for all parents to come. and. Mountain Creek Middle School on September 24th. What time? Uh, 
7.30. And basically what it is is um, it's going to be open for the teachers of the district and parents of the district to come and just get the same knowledge, the same information about how to see your connections, your relationships with either your kids or the kids you work with as being valuable as money. Because connection really is the currency in business and anything that we do. But when you're working with young people, if you're a trusted adult, man, that's that's worth a lot in value to people that are worried about their kids. And even if you're not worried about your kid, having trusted adults to watch over your kids, that is the village effect. So make sure that you're following us on Light the Fight Instagram or Facebook page. That's kind of where we... Keep well, we post it more. This is the first time we've talked about yeah. it, but they Julie just and I out. talked about it last week. Oh, you did? Yeah, oh, okay. We well, then never mind. I, I thought I yeah, no. It's good. It. We got to keep reminding people, so it's a good, um, it's a really good presentation. So I'm excited to hear it again. And uh, the suicide prevention walk at Liberty Park is this Saturday. Oh, it's the 21st, right? It's the next Saturday. Okay. Wait, is and, it the 21st? And Anyways, when we'll, we'll when is the TED talk media. that's coming right up? Ted what? Yeah, it's this thing that you've been working every waking hour on. <laughs> well, I, you don't, don't believe everything I said. All right. All I, right, I might have right. exaggerated a little bit, though. I was on vacation and working on, oh, on the for beach. Oh, 10 days? Oh, yeah. Oh. Hey, at least I was disciplined, you guys. So I was working on my TED Talk almost every morning before I went surfing. Because if I went surfing, I know TED Talk, there's burrito talk. I was talking to a, a breakfast burrito at that time. That's the only thing I'm talking to. <laughs> Super excited. But yeah, it's this Saturday. Yeah. So the suicide prevention walk, Liberty Park, this Saturday, um, hosted by the American Foundation of Suicide Prevention, the Out of Darkness Walk. And then on September 21st, if you're local and you got nothing better to do, or if you're just a fan of TED Talks, you're a fan of what we do, I'm going to be giving a TED Talk at uh, the University of Utah. And uh, it's 21st. It's the TEDx. Yeah. Uh, Salt Lake City TEDx. Yeah. Salt Lake City TEDx. That's right. Thank you. I forgot I have to make that clarification. Um, and uh, yeah, so it's September 21st. They still got some tickets for sale. It's a huge event all day long. I mean, this year they're going to have entertainment, food. There's got, they've got a, quite the spectacle of entertainment and fun things to do in between the talks. So is it's a lot of fun. If you have a ticket, is that good all day? Yeah. So the tickets, I have a ticket, I, but I was only going to go to The ticket's talk. good all day. <laughs> and it may be good news if some people want to come see me, but I will be doing my talk before lunch. Works out good for me because I've been practicing my talk in the morning, so I'd rather do it in the morning. So oh. my talk's probably going to be like around that 11 to 11.30 time, somewhere cool. in there. So Cool. Yeah. Well, we're excited to hear that from you. Yeah. Well, what do you think? Time to set this ship out to sail? Yes, you guys. Thank you for listening. Um, but quickly before we end, we want to give a shout out to our community sponsor, 1-800-CONTACTS. Um, Amazing company. Uh, obviously, we know we all know they make great contacts. We get it, but we also want to give our love out to them as well. Too. But we they're, they're going. love. It's an it's an amazing company with an amazing culture, and um, I'm inspired by them. So thank you to one eight hundred contacts for supporting us here in our community for sure, making this possible. Um, but number one, first and foremost, guys. It's you. Thank you for telling your friends. Thank you for telling your family. Thank you for being the Light the Fight missionaries that you are. We Did appreciate you say Light the Fight missionaries? They are. Oh my God. They literally are. They are. Uh, <laughs> they are evangelists. 
I would prefer it being like light the fight Girl Scout cookie sales. All right. Because they're sweeter. Go, they're cuter. Yeah. <laughs> they're cuter, yeah. Lots more. Plus they got Samoas. Likes, <laughs> Is that your favorite one? Because I'm a Thin Minter. I'm actually the chocolate peanut butter one. Samoa's my second favorite. Those are tag. Are those oh, tagalongs? Yeah, I forgot what they're called. The Samoas are the. Yeah. yeah. Don't worry, I have it. I I know. You have it down. I know my thing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, you guys, as always, thank you for listening. Thank you for showing up. We would love to hear your feedback. If you have a chance to give us a review or a comment, that also helps people find us. We appreciate it. But um, don't. Subscribe to our YouTube channel because then you got to look at us. Yeah, that's harder. Yeah, don't subscribe Plus, to our just YouTube so you know, channel. I don't dress up for these. I don't. David does, but I don't. I am the bell of the ball. <laughs> I make sure my foundation and my blush and everything is matching. It's really? My outfit. And, and I just like put on a hat because I, you know, by the end of the day. Yeah. She's the dude, bro, <laughs> of, the, of the duo. <laughs> um, anyway, as always, you guys, we love you. Thank you for helping us to light the fight. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.